This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Happy 2019. Hope you had a great break. For the next 50 weeks or so, we'll review the stories that make the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham, along with other Oanda analysts from around the globe. And a very happy new year to Craig. How are you doing? Happy new year. I'm feeling really good. I hope you had a good break over the last couple of weeks. I'm interested to know whether you've changed your mind about some of those uh, predictions you made just before Christmas. Broadly speaking, I am where I was, um, and I'm really hoping that things start more positively than they did this time last year. You say it's been a quiet week, but we're ending the week with a busy old time of it. Shares have bounced back from a pretty turbulent week to start the new year. Uh, The latest US jobs figures are out. We'll talk about that in a moment. And uh, oil is up. Let's start, though, with the non-farm payroll figures. The US economy creating many more jobs than expected in December, according to the uh, latest government data. Uh, Employers adding 312,000 jobs. Now, that is way ahead of predictions of 177,000. What is behind those figures? Yeah, it's been it's been a really strange one. I'm I'm very curious to see uh, how much of an impact the partial government shutdown has potentially had on this because it's not the only part of the report that was uh, really uh, away from expectations. We had unemployment actually rose from 3.7% to 3.9%. That was against expectations. We had uh, an increase in the participation rate by 0.2%, which is probably what's fed into that higher unemployment rate, despite the fact that we have seen staggering uh, employment growth. We also had wages growing faster than expectations as well by 3.2%. So the entire report was um, broadly speaking excellent it was um, strong jobs growth uh, higher participation which is obviously a a positive thing this is uh, what's if more people are joining the labor market it suggests that people are optimistic about the economy and higher wage growth like i said i'm a bit skeptical because we've got that partial government shutdown there are certain departments which aren't functioning the labor department is not one of those but obviously the way they collect the data and everything is going to be influenced i wonder what the knock-on impact is going to be over the next couple of months and whether once this is all smoothed out we start to see something more more that we that we can trust a little bit more so I think the immediate impact is fantastic reports, uh, and we've certainly seen that reflected, for example, in the dollar. But um, let's see how things progress, because the the, the more the, the the more pessimism that we are seeing uh, growing, uh, which has been reflected in the markets, is based on the fact that the economy is slightly to slow next year, and these figures certainly suggest that we had a booming December. Yeah, um, you mentioned the dollar is up, and obviously that's down to the fact that uh, the interest rate rises that were predicted up until the end of the year, and then suddenly that's been priced out. They were going to two rises in 2019. Now you tell me off air that markets are saying zero number of rate rises, although these figures may change that. Yeah, I mean... When we, I've, so I've got the rates in front of me right now. So this is uh, from the uh, the implied rate based uh, on Fed funds futures. And even now, the probability of a rate hike this year in the markets is zero. That is incredible when you consider the fact that the Fed has suggested that there's going to be two rate hikes this year. This is below even the most dovish uh, forecasts for um, interest rates this year. And in fact, three three rate cuts is 
uh, holds a greater probability in the markets right now in 2019 than one single rate hike. Again, that is quite extraordinary. It doesn't bode well. It doesn't suggest that people are overly optimistic about the economy. And that is after that stunning jobs report. So uh, it doesn't seem it changes much. One thing it does change is it has slightly reduced the probability of these rate cuts this year and of a rate cut this year. But even then, it hasn't had the opposite effect of increasing the probability of a rate hike. So Mark, investors clearly still very pessimistic right now, um, despite the fact that we've had these incredible numbers. And we're going to hear from Powell shortly after we record this podcast, uh, the Fed chair. He's appearing on a panel alongside his predecessors, Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke. So it'll be really interesting to see how he's taken these numbers and also what his view on the markets are, what, why, why he believes markets just are not falling in line with what the Fed is saying and who he thinks is wrong. Has his view changed in the last two weeks? That pessimism, uh, Craig, a lot of it's down to uh, the USA's relationship with China and, of course, concerns about growth in the Chinese economy. And that keeps changing from, uh, from week to week. We've seen today China's central bank injecting $117 billion into the banking system by cutting the share of deposits that commercial banks must hold in reserve. And that is the latest effort uh, to boost lending and halt a sharp uh, slowdown in the economy. Yeah, it's this wasn't an unexpected move. This is the fifth time they've cut the reserve requirement ratio this year um, in order to try and support the economy. There was um, more factored in for the the coming year, but this is quite a sizable one, and it does come as the economy is slowing. It comes as we've seen some weaker PMI numbers this year, uh, this week, earlier on in the week. The uh, manufacturing PMI fell to a more than two-year uh, low into contraction territory, sorry, for the first time in more than two years. So that's going to have worried policymakers over there. Clearly, the um, the trade war with the US is biting uh, the Chinese economy, and we are expecting a, a little bit more of a slowdown to an, a very, obviously, unenviable, closer to 6% growth this year uh, compared to the 6.5% that we If you believe those figures, of course. Of course, if you believe those figures. But even even if you don't believe the figures, the estimates tend to be closer to maybe like 4%. So we are still talking about extraordinary levels of growth compared to what we uh, typically see in, in more developed economies. Um, I, and yes, the so so it's not a surprise that people are a little bit more pessimistic, especially when policymakers are, are, are responding in this way. And um, the, the noises are not that great. But again, we are seeing negotiations continuing between the US and China. We did see it announced um, earlier this uh, earlier today, actually, that there's going to be a meeting that's uh, taking place uh, early next week in Beijing um, between uh, trade representatives from the US and China. So we'll see how those talks go. And there's clearly a desire on both sides to get something done. But again, a desire isn't always enough to get this over the line. Yeah, more optimism because of those uh, trade talks that are meant to be happening next week. And also stronger service uh, sector data from China's also eased uh, concerns. It's not confirming that ch- data. It's not confirming the doom and gloom trend as much as we were thinking. No, I mean, the consumer is a much greater component of the Chinese economy now. Uh, I think it was probably two or three years ago at this point that uh, the services sector accounted for a greater proportion of the Chinese economy, so surpassed 50% than manufacturing, which used to be a greater, the greater component. Um, so it, it's clearly a more important part, and that's why Chinese policymakers are focusing their efforts now more on um, things like uh, um, tax cuts, to try and stimulate the economy as opposed to what they've done in the past, which is more infrastructure spending uh, to try and support the economy. So we are clearly seeing that shift. So this services number is more optimistic, but 
while the services sector has overtaken manufacturing, manufacturing is still huge. It's still a huge part of that Chinese economy. So when we see a slowdown there, it's going to have a far greater impact than it's going to have, say, for example, in the UK, where manufacturing, I think, accounts at the last time a check on around 10%, which is obviously far less significant. Do you think the positivity in the Chinese economy, um, I know you're, you're slightly cynical about it at the moment, is, is that the reason behind the rise in oil prices, 2.5% uh, a few moments ago? Um, that, that That's not the only reason, but certainly the, the highs and lows of the Chinese economy is very much a big factor in the oil prices, isn't it? There's a link, but I don't I don't really read that much into these movements in oil prices from a day to day basis. Two and a half percent sounds like a lot, but at two and a half percent when we're near a hundred dollars a barrel is very different from two and a half percent when we're closer to forty dollars a barrel. Obviously, from a purely from an absolute number perspective, those moves uh, will uh, they, they 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 look much greater than they are when you look at it on a percent basis. And when we look at oil price moves recently, yes, people are going to be touting OPEC and whether people whether they believe that they're going to follow through and hit these targets and look at uh, venezuelan output etc etc to try and um to try and explain why we are seeing a two and a half percent move but what we've actually seen a lot with oil right now and this is where it does relate to china is it follows the stock market moves that uh, quite well so if people are becoming more pessimistic about the economy and the markets are falling again then oil has been falling the fact that we've seen a bounce back uh, a little bit of relief rally in the equity markets today it's not surprising that we are seeing a similar move in oil and there are also uh, those thoughts about whether producers will deliver further curbs uh, to oil supply this month in addition to what they did in December. That must have had an effect on oil prices as well. Potentially, if there is any actual substance to that story. I don't know why they would meet two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, uh, announce what they are planning to do and then make adjustments to it uh, so rapidly, having not met again. So you always have to look at well, how much substance there is to these stories. I, I think they'll give it a few months before they um, potentially uh, respond again. And... Uh, and then you have to wonder how much desire there is going to be for that because it seemed that it took a lot of effort to get this one over the line unlike the uh, the, the cut that we had a couple of years ago in response to oil prices being around these levels again. So for me, I think this is very much a markets are very pessimistic right now. We're seeing a relief rally. We're seeing a relief rally in oil as well. And uh, as long as markets continue to remain under pressure, which means that, again, people are factoring in possible rate cuts over the next couple of years, again, in the US, including, um, then we are uh, then then oil is going to reflect the uh, overall optimism or more 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 accurately pessimism that investors are feeling. We've seen big falls uh, for the Japanese yen today, Craig. What's behind that? Yeah, so the the yen we've seen falls today, but I mean we've seen gains earlier in the week. So we saw a massive flash move. You can't call it a flash crash because actually it was a gain in the yen, um, and I, there doesn't seem to be this jazzy name uh, when they actually surge higher. Uh, and that came earlier in the week when we also saw a drop off in uh, equity markets and. We we came at a period of incredible uh, low liquidity. Not only are we in the first trading week uh, of the month when it's only a three-day week, so it's, there's going to be less participation as a result of that. It was also during a Japanese bank holiday, so so again, from a pure liquidity standpoint, that that means it's going to be uh, extremely low. And it also came in I think it's called a witching hour between the U.S. Uh, and Asian markets, when you generally again you're going to see a pattern here have extremely low levels of liquidity. Now there is always speculation that this could come as a result of a fat finger trade. 
Um, I, I'm, you don't really tend to get confirmation of these. I think it's probably more likely a large order that's coming in an extremely illiquid moment, which has caused a, a big move in the markets, and that move's been exacerbated probably by algos and then by stops and people being liquidated on their positions if they're on the wrong side of the trade, taking profit, etc., etc., which tends to exacerbate the move, which is why we've seen such a big uh, bounce back in the day or so that's followed. Um, in terms of why this has happened, people have linked it to the Apple story, which we're going to touch on. Um, because the Apple story wasn't just about Apple. The Apple story, um, as I'm sure you'll allude to now, because they mentioned China in, uh, specifically, it became a global story, and therefore we saw risk aversion. And when you see periods of risk aversion, your risk averse, your safe haven uh, instruments tend to benefit. That can be gold, but then the yen, from a currency perspective, is the most traditionally the most favoured safe haven currency and that's why I think you saw a big swing there but it's amazing how one company um, as powerful as Apple is can have such a major effect on markets as it did in the, in the beginning of the week but we have seen a bounce back today it has been a very very turbulent week is the bounce back uh, what is the reason behind that I'd say it's probably just because the drop off was too severe um, Apple did announce that they are uh, lowering their revenue forecast for the uh, for 2019. They've lowered it to uh, around 84 billion, down from 89 billion. That's that's huge uh, for the quarter. Sorry, um, that that is that is huge, and you can't ignore that. Um, but that's because of lower demand in China, and there was a number of reasons um, for uh, for that. They've seen less fewer upgrades, and they've uh, they've put that down to uh, the battery, um, the the uh, the changing of the batteries in in older handsets that they uh, that they offered in 2018. Um, we we'll re we remember when people were saying that their battery life had been um, impacted by a software update, and Apple came out, and the response to that was, "We will actually change the batteries in your older phones for uh, for uh, a." discounted price i missed that one and um yeah, one of the many last year i've got a terrible battery um <laughs> the rest I, of my it was only on certain handsets i think All right, lucky um, you. If, I, if i'm not uh, if i'm not mistaken yeah. and they think that that had an impact on people's desire to upgrade because their battery life was improved right. and um there, there was a number of factors and they also did allude to the trade war which is why this did spread to war um to to the wider market so it wasn't just apple supply chain which was hit in the aftermath of this it was broader risk sentiment because if you're talking about trade war having an impact on apple the world's gr largest company at one point i think it's now the fourth based on the 40 percent decline which we've seen over the last few months then it's going to have an impact on on other other companies uh, as well so we did see the sell-off in the markets on the back of that uh, they are still a hugely significant company and i think what we've seen today uh, with the share price rising is just pairing those losses you, you, you drop 10 percent in one day um then you're obviously going to see a shift and i think it's also worth noting as well that this is not necessarily come as a huge shock the fact that they're pairing back expectations because we heard stories in december that their suppliers were touting um were offering profit warnings as well saying one of their largest clients or their largest client has reduced orders for their parts and that always that all pointed to Apple. So it's something that we've almost been preparing for. And Apple also uh, will remember during the last earnings season, the final point, um, just said that uh, announced that it's going to stop announcing what its handset sales are. And this was seen as a sign for everyone that, well, if my handset sales had gone from growing uh, almost exponentially, it seemed at times, every year, and it'd start to flatten and even fall because the handset price has gone up so much, then I would stop reporting those numbers as well because I don't want to report anything that looks bad for us. Because now Apple 
it suggests are focusing more on increased margins from the higher from these handsets, but also the services business as well. So we're looking at Apple Pay, Apple Music, etc. We've managed to go a whole podcast thus far, Craig, without mentioning Brexit, which is a miracle in itself, but it has been very quiet. I was wondering why I was enjoying myself. (laughs) Um, There are um, rumours of a conversation happening between Jean-Claude Juncker and uh, Theresa May later on today. Uh, We're something like uh, 10 days away from uh, this uh, potential vote in the House of Commons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, let's have a look forward to next week, though. I mean, I, let's let's leave Brexit aside because there's nothing really more to add, is there, at the moment? No, the vote's in 11 days, and at the moment it looks as though it's going to go ahead. There are going to be discussions between Theresa May and Brussels along the way so she try, as she tries to gain any of those concessions or clarifications that will get this through Parliament. I don't feel like it's going to be that smooth, to be honest. The idea of this vote just don't passing <laughs> in 11 days and then we can just all move on. Yeah. It's not being that kind of process i feel like there's a no confidence vote in the government that we still have to deal with that's the possibility of a second referendum that we have to uh, that we have to go through first i feel like there's a number more obstacles in the way the in the, idea in of the words of, yes, in the words of Theresa May, nothing has changed. <laughs> which um, you can uh, certainly new say year, yeah. same Brexit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are you looking forward to next week? I think the uh, next week could be a little bit quiet again. People returning to their desks. Um, there's not an enormous amount actually happening. I think markets are going to remain volatile, but maybe the kind of volatility with these we've seen this week may start to fade out as we do get more liquidity back into the markets. The one event that really stands out for me um, is actually a Bank of Canada event because it, I, I was checking a few places before I came here, and when I was looking at a couple of economic calendars, they were suggesting that markets are expecting a rate hike next week, um, which surprised me because the Fed seems to have slowed down, market expectations for the US seem to have slowed down, and Canada has kind of been behind the curve in the US, but kind of following at the same time with its own uh, rate hike cycle. And again, the economies are so close and linked, that's not an enormous uh, surprise. But then you, I checked the Reuters terminal, and that was suggesting that there was a 90% chance of, uh, of rates on hold. So I was thinking, well, these two don't line up. And then below that, it said there was a 10% chance, based on uh, the futures again, of a rate cut. There doesn't seem to be any alignment here in terms of what we're expecting next week. So I think that's going to make the event itself really interesting because the Bank of Canada has been on a tightening cycle and people were expecting that to continue. And if markets are pricing in something different in much the same way as they are with the Fed, then any clarification we can get on that could be really interesting. And if, if the Bank of Canada did actually follow through with a rate hike, that could cause a lot of turbulence in the currency. It was interesting to hear your views on New Year's Eve on the business breakfast about what would happen in uh, or what you think might happen in 2019. Have you changed your mind in the last week? Yeah, I mean, uh, not really. I think the key event, the, the, the first quarter, I think, is going to define the year to an extent. The first quarter, I think, Brexit is going to be clearly defining this side of the pond. I think the trade discussions with China um, between China and the US is going to be very defining on that side of the pond, but then also from a global perspective also, I think it's going to be... I expect that what they'll do is um, probably commit to no more tariffs for uh, the foreseeable future. They may put a time frame on that, like six months as trade 
talks continue because the chance of them to, to, to do, sorting all of this out in 90 days just seems ridiculous. Remember, the EU uh, and Canada trade deal took seven years. This is China and the US. Um, so the idea of this getting done in 90 days just seems a bit absurd. So I, I think an extension of some kind uh, will be well received by the markets, suggesting lower tensions between the two world's largest economies. So that's going to be clearly defining. I think the Fed's going to be clearly defining, both from a domestic po policy perspective, uh, a recession uh, risks or uh, pricing um, could be affected by if we do see a more dovish shift again from the central bank, but also that has a knock-on effect for things like emerging markets. Um, uh, so these these things I, I don't I I think are all going to almost come to a head. I feel in the first quarter, and then obviously we've got the market as well. Are the markets going to stabilise and bounce back following what has been a 20% plus um, correction in, in many, many markets? Uh, uh, the Dow, I think it was, that slightly surpassed that and the S&P fell slightly short. So that's technically bear market territory. Again, I think this will, 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 things will look a lot clearer come the end of Q1. I think what I'm trying to say is it's going to be really, really interesting Q1 um, and potentially a really boring Q2, 3 and 4. But I really doubt that. I mean, not nah. the world we live in. Not for me. Right, I'm going to play this back to you in about three or four months' time, and we'll start with the Q1. <laughs> um, Craig, have a very good weekend. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Oanda Market Insights podcast. We're back again next week. Have a very good weekend. was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.